0: Welcome to the Chicago Golf Report Podcast, brought to you by ChicagoGolfReport.com, covering everything golf in Chicago.
1: Our guest this episode is the CEO of Hurricane Golf, Jason Hyland. You can learn more about the exclusive deals offered on golf clubs, apparel, bags, and much more at HurricaneGolf.com. Awesome. So why don't we start at the beginning? Can you explain how you got into the golf business?
0: Yeah, I was uh, starting a community college at Waubonsee Community College it was in Sugar Grove, Illinois, and I was working at a retail store, uh, or I got a job at a retail store, I should say, um, which was in Naperville, and um, I have to thank my mom for that. She actually, I sent in an application, and she came in and talked to the owners and uh, vouched for me, so they gave me a job. I was working on the weekends and nights and um, playing college golf at Waubonsee Community College, and then... Uh, that was my first job in the golf business when I was 18. So that's how it started. but so
1: then, I you played college golf. Um, did you? At, at what point did you decide that, uh, you know, there maybe this is something that uh, I want to make a bigger part of my life, or how did it evolve from there?
0: Yeah, I mean, my playing career was mediocre. Um, you know, I may have been potentially good enough to be a club pro. But nothing more than that, so I realized my talent level wasn't going to take me very far in actually playing golf. So I was a business major uh, at Waubonsee Community College, and then when I got my degree from Oshkosh, so that I had a business background in the gravitation towards business, so then I kind of switched versus trying to really uh, think where and why and how could I take my education I was working on and my business degree and turn it into a career in golf. So then it sort of switched when I realized that uh, the talent really wasn't there and if I want to be around it, I better, better come up with something more reasonable to make a living doing it.
1: So then what was that next step? What got you to the connection of being actually in the golf business then?
0: Yeah, so then um, Mike Tate, uh, who's the owner of SMT um, Golf Outings and SMT Golf, which was a golf component company at the time, um he was also he was a golf pro at the time so he just started in the golf component industry and then at the same re- at the same retail store I was at when I was uh, there in the off season from him being a golf professional so he sort of uh, would come in on the weekends and stuff when he was off and then got to be friends with Mike and he sort of mentored me and then he hired me away from the first retail shop when SMT golf uh, really started to take off it was actually called Mirage Golf back then, but it was a precursor to the SMT business. So then I worked with Mike in the golf component business uh, in the summer times and uh, when I was home you know, whenever I could. And then that's when I really saw that this could turn into a – when I made my entry by Mike.
1: So the Mirage company that you referred to, that was, uh, I believe, like a clone uh, manufacturing component? And, yeah, it
0: did, but sold phones, but sold shafts and grips, and Mike had some of his own designs, stuff like that. So it wasn't 100% clones. Uh, Mike also had some ideas on designs that he'd bring his own components, but it was a classic component company where about half the orders we would ship were built. We would take those parts and build them to the customer specification or we would just send the parts to people along with shafts and grips, and we were distributors for those companies as well. So it was uh, it was the sort of classic golf component custom building model.
1: So then, what led you to believe from that experience with Mike and learning, um, you know, the golf component business, the club ma- manufacturing business, or club assembling business? What led you to that? Uh, that uh, you know, you want to take the next step, create your own business, and. and- put yourself out there yeah I
0: mean I have to give Mike a lot of credit for this because you know look looking back at it now it's easy but I was easy but I was old years old and really helping him run the business so I mean I was dealing with clients we were looking at product development I mean Mike could leave and I could run it he trusted me enough to do it so um you know and I could see the internet was coming out at that time uh, Lived with a couple, in college, I lived with a couple of computer science majors, saw the first internet connection in 1993, I graduated from college in 1995, so there's this convergence of technology coming out along with the background, and I figured, you know, you could reach people more easily than ever. got yeah, to remember in the, what, 92, 93, 91, I mean, we were getting orders in on the paper fax machines with, you know, the heat-treated paper that would curl up and just telephone. I mean, that was it. But you could see how that business model could be converted to use technology, technology i.e., the Internet. So it also was a, I had enough confidence that I could do it from the history of working with Mike. The economy was doing really well at that period of time, and then this convergence of this new technology coming out sort of made me say, well, if I'm going to do it, the, the, the stars are sort of aligning to go ahead and jump in the deep snow, deep- snow effect kind of contributed to that
1: what was the connection then or what, what ultimately how did you get to where you're at now what was the uh, what was the first step for you to what you have with hurricane golf and, and you know where you're at
0: and, well I mean the first step was was graduating from college and saying I'm not going to follow the normal path and get a regular five, corp- five corporate job it was saying right out of the gate, I'm going to start my own company, which was the first one was Diamond Tour Golf. It was your, and it was your classic golf component company. We had our there was clone type golf clubs, our own designs, you know, distributing grips for all the major manufacturers, distributing all the shafts, which the business 20 years later is still open. Custom building clubs, just sending out components. Um, so that the first step to kind of getting to where we're at now was was saying I'm just I'm going to do this at 21 years old twenty two years old at the time of you know, I'm not gonna follow the normal path, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in the deep end at this point and, and give it a whirl and see if I can make it work. But I was confident I could do it. So just sort of one step in front of the other and you know, hiring as we grew, hiring really smart people, space space, you know, almost like looking back at the mentoring and how Mike did with me, that you get a really good group around you and, and let them sort of, you know, do their thing and to help the organizers out of their way, out of their way, and you kind of find out what you're good at and what you're not good at, and you surround yourself with people who make up your shortcomings. So, but the first step was just essentially, uh, you know, just going to do it and just say I'm, I'm going to start this thing.
1: Can you talk a little bit then how uh, you start Diamond Tour Golf? Can you talk a little bit how Hurricane Golf came out of that then?
0: Yeah, so Diamond Tour Golf started in December of 1995, and then in early 2008, uh, Diamond Tour had been, you know, going 12 or 13 years, but we saw the opportunity to to start another company called Hurricane Golf, which we're actually going to be buying large volumes from from the major companies everybody's heard of, from Callaway, Nike, TaylorMade, Adidas, Adams, et cetera, et cetera. We, we knew the Internet business quite well at that point. We had the distribution center set up for Diamond Tour. We had space we could keep using. And we thought with the economy where it's going, value, <clears throat> you know, a company like TJ Maxx is going to do well during this period of time. And financially we're in good shape, so we could kind of expand out to another business. So we thought if we could use our expertise and our buying power to kind of get really good deals then pass those on to the client, you know, we can – we can build another business. So we were kind of ready for company two. Um, Diamond Tour we had been an established business, a mature business at that point, and we kind of saw this opportunity of what was going on in the economy that, you when know, it's uh, in a bad time, everyone needs a deal, in a good time, everyone wants a deal. But it, it just sort of seemed to make sense for the, the group of people we had and where you know, sort of the economy was going that we could kind of use our buying power and pass on good value to the clients. That was the basis of the start of it.
1: So now knowing what you know and having uh, Hurricane be around this long and have, have have been grown this business like you've been able to do and see the, this success, what do you think has made uh, Hurricane so successful? What do you think has helped you um, take that initial idea and then continue to build on it in addition to, like you said, the buying power? What else is there that you think Hurricane does uniquely that makes it uh you know so well respected
0: I, I think it's it's first off having a team of people around us and it's still around us to be able to start that second business so we, we learned a lot from diamond tour so we can kind of take that that 10 years we would all been together and starting that second business that was actually almost easier the second go-around just because we're a little older and more mature and everyone kind of know their their role of what they were going to do so kind of having that group to really start it with at Dive Tour made that transition to the second company easier. Uh, secondly, you know, we, we, I, I'm a golf guy at heart, so, I mean, I just still love anything, you know, with the golf business. I love both companies. So I still have that passion to, you know, want to do, um, you know, ultimately when that guy opens the box from us, I want that customer to be happy with the deal satisfied with it have a you know a great experience when they go to our website that it's simple and it's easy to use and they trust us and we know the value is going to be there so it's just that whole factor of wanting that customer to have a great experience we kind of always say we want like walmart pricing the best price we can give to them but nordstrom service so you know if you call our 800 number there's someone there that actually can you don't know, have to hit 17 buttons to get to a human being we want to make sure that that customer has a great experience. So that's still sort of uh, the drive behind it. And it's just one step at a time. and just kind of kept growing and growing and still growing. So, But that, that basis of why we do what we do has not changed, of making sure that customer has a great experience and they're happy when they get products from us.
1: You have, a, um, you have a storefront in uh, downtown DeKalb. How many people uh, are working at that location?
0: Well, in the whole building on a day-to-day level, we'll maybe have 15 to 18 people. We also have, you know, some staff members who don't live in Illinois who, you know, are on the Internet side of the stuff. But there's normally, say, 15 to 16 people in and out on a daily basis. And, um, yeah, the, we have a little retail store that a small, small portion of our business, but people can still come in and get, you know, they can put their hands on the products from both companies. They can look at the stuff. We can custom fit them. We can change their grips because all the inventory is connected to that retail store. So, you know, the retail store is just sort of a little portal to, to all the inventory that we have, and and it's fun. I mean, the customers get to come in and see us, and even though it's an internet-based business, if there any if anyone's ever in Decalb, you know, we're more than happy to, to to help them out with anything, or feel free to come in and, and see the products that we have.
1: I think that's a really unique component of your business to have that storefront. Like you said, this is a company that does very well online. You get a huge percentage of your, your sales online, but yet you have a storefront. Why do you, why do you keep it going? Is it just to have that connection with the customers, or is there some other reason to have a storefront like that?
0: Yeah, I mean that's it. It's 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 the ability. If anyone wants to come see us and set up an appointment to get fit, and it kind of falls back to that really taking care of the customer that we just don't want to be, you know, just a, a name on the Internet, and if you came by the building, you would just knock on the door and you can't come in. I mean, we still want to be able to service you like a normal retail customer if you're local, but hopefully we can give you better, you know, um, better deals per se because of the volume of what we buy on. So it's kind of old school meets new school would be the best way I could describe it. But, yeah, we'll always have that open.
1: Now you mentioned that this is kind of this has been your life. This has been your career basically since you started. You know you've started in the golf business. You've stayed in it. You've created your own company, um, and yet you're still like you said you're still a golf guy at heart. What drives you? I mean, what do you? What's the, the the next thing that you're looking forward to accomplishing? You know, with your business or with something else within the golf business.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, well, we have a concept now for potentially a third company in 2017, of being very boutique-ish, very crafty, very um, customized clubs, but done more in a factory-direct model. Um, <clears throat> our own designs, working with some some different factories and some different guys helping us design some stuff. So. There is a third one out there. I don't want to give too many details away yet, but that's sort of the next direction we're going. And, um, yeah, it's just fun still. It's just, it's, I mean, I could tell people I've never had a real job yet. I mean, I still get to work in my favorite hobby, which is golf. So there's always sort of a next thing out there or something else to keep it going. But uh, I still love it as much as I did, you know, from 20 years ago. I still love the people I work with and what I get to do.
1: So then what is your thought um, as far as the golf business in general? Where do you see it at right now as compared to where it's been, and where do you see it going?
0: I would, my, my thought of that right now is from a particip- participation rate and what we're sort of seeing. I think maybe last year was maybe, and I hope I'm not overly optimistic, but it feels like that was sort of the bottom point. It feels like it's starting to bounce back a little bit. I still think it's going to be tough to have a lot of growth until they figure out you know, how to get millennials to be playing more, maybe make it a little bit faster, but it's never going to go away. There's still you know, millions and millions of people who play golf. You know, I caught a really good wave in the ni- mid-1990s when the Tiger Effect happened and equipment changes were happening and you know, the golf balls got way better and titanium came out. And there was a huge influx of game improvement technology that was out there. With the USGA rules and everything that they have at this point, it is tougher to get you know gigantic leaps forward. It, it, it's incremental at best at this point. It's a yard here or a yard there, or a little tighter dispersion or more customized uh, ability of the club to get the center of gravity right, along with the face angle right to really lock it in for each golfer. But it's not as it's not as incrementally a large of steps as there were when I kind of started and even up to, say, the mid-2000s. But I still think there's always going to be a lot of people that are playing, and I'm hoping we saw sort of the bottom of it here maybe a year ago or something like that. We're, we're pretty excited about what we're seeing for 2016 um, from, from what we're seeing on the second half of 2015.
1: So you're, you're a great person to ask on this. Since you've had... Pretty much your finger on the pulse of this industry for so long, and you mentioned the fact about um, you know trying to find the sweet spot to attract millennials to play the game. And we see different things such as uh, you know courses trying to get more business with say foot golf, or you know even even little small changes like having music on the golf courses, which seems to be. Picking up more steam, you know, where are golfers bringing out their speakers and you know having it's kind of changing a little bit of the game itself. Do you think uh, Do you think that the game needs to be adjusted to fit millennials, or do you think that their perspectives need to be changed, um, you know, to that they accept the game, or do you do you think there's other factors in there?
0: Yeah, I, I kind of fight this because you know I was one of those kids. The parents dropped, you know, my mom dropped me off at a nine-hole golf course in Chabon, Illinois, and I would play all day long, you know, with a wooden wood and blade irons, and he just sort of went and figured it out, and you just went out there all day long and kept doing the nine-hole loop until your mom picked you up, and it was hard, and you sort of figured it out, and you you could learn how to play, but we had a lot less options, you know. There was no internet, there was, you know, there wasn't a McDonald's even in the town I grew up in, growing up in Hinkley, so we played a ton of golf. There's so many more options for kids. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I can see it already. They're connected to the world already through the Internet, and I, I don't know. I, I think it might just be a, a shift in society how kids just don't go outside anymore and just explore the world, and golf is for us was sort of a part of that where you just you just figured it out. But part of me is wants to say, it's been like this for how many years? This is the rules. This is how it is. This is the etiquette. But then part of me also, when we play with our group of guys on Tuesday night at our country club, I love it when the music is out there and tunes are going and people are having a good time and it's not as formal. So I, I can kind of see both sides of it. But I think some of the rules are going to have to lighten up a little bit. I think the other hard part has been, you know, if take the last 20 years of golf course architecture, courses have gotten a heck of a lot harder. So you take like that nine-hole course I grew up playing we could run the ball up onto every green, basically, if you wanted to. And you look at some of these courses that were built, um, you know, like I said, from mid '90s on. The goal was my course is harder than your course. And if you're a beginner golfer and you go out and play some of these places, unless you can really play, it's a it's a nightmare. I mean, you could shoot 200 if you count every score that you're taking on each hole. So I think it's maybe a combination of lightening up the rules a little bit, maybe make it a little bit more family oriented. You know, I'm not a big fan of making the hole bigger, and it'd be fine every now and then, but I think it needs to kind of be a middle ground between tradition to not lose that, but yet also be cognizant of what's going on in the world and what people find interesting and kind of incorporate that into it, and also be able to play fast. And I think that's part of the reason with the harder golf courses, the rounds have taken longer with raised greens, deep bunkers, forced carries, it you know, it's, it's hard for a lot of people who don't play a lot to, to play those courses fast and efficiently. So hopefully kind of go back to some of the more uh, older type of shorter golf courses it would probably help. It's cheaper to maintain for the, the clubs and it's easier for people to play and enjoy it. So probably a combination of both I think wouldn't hurt.
1: So I think you are a good person to ask, uh, being a business owner and having all these people working for you and, and being in the business this long, how much do you get to play golf?
0: Well, I, uh, I get to sneak away and play a lot of nine-holers. So, and this is sort of what they're you know, talking about, how it fits with lifestyle anymore with two small kids at home. So I'm lucky our country club is literally three minutes from our office. So I'll go have a quick lunch, and I'll go play a lot of nine-holes. Well, I'll go out after lunch, and I can play nine-holes in about 45 minutes with a cart and head back to the office. So I probably do that four days a week, and then maybe I'll play one 18-holer a week, maybe two sometimes, and take the kids out there on the weekend. But I'm probably at a golf course still, even though I'm running these two companies six days a week at some point. I, I mean, I love to play, but, you know, I'm, I can get out there and play fast and and uh, get a quick round in and go back to the office, and no one seems to miss me much. So it's kind of it's a perfect combination that I can play quick and get back to the office. But I still play a lot of golf.
1: So to finish up here, then let's talk a little bit about Chicago golf. Can you give us uh, maybe two or three golf courses that you really, um, you know, public and private, a couple, two or three golf courses that you really love to play and, and what do you love about them?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, the, the, the top of my list is um, Chicago Golf Club and Shore Acres. I'm, I'm a huge Seth Raynor fan. And if you ever get to go play those two places, and especially after the uh, – the renovation they did to Shore Acres a couple years ago. They moved a lot of trees and got the original sight lines back and squared the greens off. It's, it's just, you can't fake that. You, you, you know a Seth Raynor from that generation, which I still think is the greatest architect in the world of C.B. McDonald, Seth Raynor. And those two courses just encompass that uh, that era, that golden era of golf course design um they're my two favorites in chicagoland Uh, they're they're both playable the green complex at chicago golf club is amazing minus the history and everything else chicago golf club which makes that place just you know spectacular those are my two favorites um and mainly like i said i enjoy that sort of linksy golf and that architecture in that time period you know um by public, I think TPC here at Deer Run is, is a fantastic golf course where they have the uh, John Deere. The public can play it. It's always in great shape with a beautiful piece of property, some different styles of holes, and it's so fun to go out there and play that and, you know, watch where the pros did, what you did, and it's, you know, well under $100 during the week to play a course of that that uh, quality. It's a really, really good deal. Um, but Chicago is blessed. I mean, my gosh, in the North Shore area, you have so many great private clubs. And, um, you know, some really good public golf courses as well. We've got a great area for it around here. So we're lucky of of the history and the courses that we have here. This has been the Chicago Golf Report podcast. Visit ChicagoGolfReport.com right now for exclusive discount offers, Chicago Golf News, and in-depth event listings.